This morning we resume our study in the book of Revelation. We are off to a start. It seems like a slow start, but we are off to a start nonetheless. This week I was talking with someone, and they were talking about this sermon series, and they were asking, what is the message of the Revelation? What is the call of the book of Revelation? Now that seemed like a very steep uh, question this early into the study. We're just barely into it. But to me, it seems very clearly the message of Revelation is this. Wake up. Wake up. Be aware. Jesus is coming again very soon, and believers are to be ready. And so the message is we need to be prepared. We need to wake up. Friends, listen to me today. Be sure of this this morning. We are living in wild times. We are living in unprecedented times. Wickedness is everywhere. I don't have to tell you that. You see that. Vileness, absolute vileness is accepted today. It is promoted today. It is celebrated today. Satan is running wild in these days. Our homes, our kids, our kids are in grave danger today. And the world around us is suffering. It is hurting. It is lost and headed into an eternity apart from Jesus Christ. All of that is going on, and somehow we are asleep. And I don't understand that. I, I watch the news. I, I see things that even a year ago we wouldn't believe. Two years ago we wouldn't believe. And I see what the government's doing, and I see what politicians are doing. I see what people are doing, carrying out across our land. And I see people are lost outside of the hope of Jesus Christ, and somehow we are asleep. And I'll just tell you, these months, as I've endeavored to study this book, as I've prepared these messages, every time I study this book, and every time I start to say, well, here's what the next sermon will be, and here's what the next one will be, every time I study this book, I remember verse 3. Remember it ends, the time is near. Listen, that's what God is telling us. The time is near. That's the message of God. The time is near. I, I think every time I walk into this pulpit, and we're over there, we're seeing the, the trump's going to resound, the scroll, the clouds are going to be rolled back as a scroll. And every time I walk into this pulpit, I think no one has ever preached closer to the second coming of Christ than I am right in this moment. Do you know that? No one has ever preached closer to the second coming of Christ than I am right now. The time is near. The time is near. It is time to wake up. Today, this morning, is a message for us in the church. Now, all of these are to the church and for the church, but I think the verses we're going to see today, it is a timely, relevant message today for us in the church. Today, our message is entitled, Church, It's Time. Church, it's time. We're in Revelation chapter 1, today verses 9 through 11. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Church, it's time. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 9, God's Word says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus 
was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to these seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we are thankful that there is an actual day when there's going to be the blast of a trumpet and there's going to be the voice of an archangel and the clouds are going to roll back and you are going to come for your church, for your people. Lord, we take hope in that. We find peace in that. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word in this book, I pray again that you would speak and I pray it wouldn't be my word, it wouldn't be my interpretation, it wouldn't be my message for people, but it would be the word of the living God. And I pray, Lord, that we would be corrected today, that we would be instructed today, that we would be encouraged today. And Lord, I pray for some that might hear this today in this room and in some other means that may not know you. I pray in the, in the hearing of the gospel of a risen Savior, an enduring hope in Jesus that today any hindrance will be removed and today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we come and we give you this hour. We trust it to you. You are the everlasting God. We ask that you would work, that you would speak, that you would move. And I pray most of all that our King Jesus would be known and he would be glorified. And I trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I believe we are living in the end days. I believe we are living in the end days. Now, when I hear that, when I hear myself say that, that, that sounds like, well, well, a preacher ought to say that. Uh, maybe that sounds cliche. We've heard that for many years. Uh, maybe that sounds crazy. Maybe that sounds kind of wacko. But I truly believe Jesus is coming again very soon. I, I will tell you our world today, I personally believe is more wicked today than in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. I truly believe that. You look around, I believe our day right now is more wicked than in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe our days are more sinister than in the days of Noah. The Bible tells us about the wickedness, the perverseness of the day. I believe our days right now are more sinister than the days of Noah. And I believe we are living in the last days. And I believe these days, listen to me, are the days for the church to be the church. I believe these days are the days for the church to stand and to witness to and to be the defender of the word of God. And I believe these are the days for the church to preach the gospel of a gracious, loving Savior, Jesus. And I want to tell you, of all days, I believe these days are the days for the church to stand as the church. And I believe in these days, the church is asleep. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I could, I could preach a sermon bemoaning that fact. And I, I could preach an entire sermon griping and complaining about that truth. And, and, and I, I, I tell you, I, I, I could 
tell you all the ways that we're failing. I could list where the church is doing this and the church has neglected this. I could, I could tell you all the ways that we're failing. There's a, there's a bunch of ways. But instead, I want to tell you today that prayerfully, hopefully, and expectantly, it is time for us to be the church. Listen, I can beat us up. You can do the same. But I want to tell you, it is time, hopefully, with a sense of expectation for us to be the church. Today in our verses, as we move through our verses, we're going to see some truths about the church. Now, going into the days that we're in, existing in the days that we are existing in, we're going to see some truths about the church that we should be sure of. You better be sure of these things. I'm going to tell you some truths about the church that we need to be settled in. We need to be settled in these things. I'm going to tell you some things about the church that we need to be ready for. And so again, this message is for us in these days as his church. Okay, let's go to the verses starting this morning, back in verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I'm going to read that again. I want you to listen to every part of it. I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Starting off, John again identifies himself as the tool, as the instrument that Jesus is communicating through. Remember back when we started at the first of the chapter, God has a message, he's given it to Christ. Christ has brought it to the bondservants, to believers, to the church. The instrument that it's communicated through is the apostle John. And so starting off again, he has identified himself, he is the tool that will communicate the message from Jesus. Now I want you to think about John. At this point, he is... Old. He is actually very old. At this point, most of his contemporaries, many of those that he has served with, are dead, most of them by violent means. Most of those he served with, they have passed on. At this point, he is exiled, and he stands as the exiled pastor of the church in Ephesus. He's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He has been exiled to this island. Now, he starts off, and he says here in verse 9, Brothers, brothers, I, John, your brother. Now, I want you to notice this. As he addresses these specific churches, as he addresses believers, now, that's what he's doing. It goes to these specific churches, but it's speaking to all churches, speaking to us as believers. As he does that, he says, your brother. He says, I am your brother. Now, that's the first thing we see this morning, and that is this. As believers, we are family. As believers, the church is family. Now, we need to get that. That's a deep thing. Uh, that, that really holds a lot of, of relevance. That is, that is a profound thing. We are not associates in the church. We're not even friends in the church. The Bible says, as the church, we are family. Now, let me explain that to you. The Bible is very clear. 
When we are saved, we are adopted by God. Ephesians tells us that. Galatians tells us that. Romans tells us that as well. When we are saved, we are adopted by God. When we are saved, the Bible says, we become children of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. When you were saved, you became a child of God. Now, what that means is, God is our Father, and the church is our family. Therefore, believers are our brothers and sisters. Get this. The church is not something to belong to. The church is not something to attend. The church is our family. We need to be sure of that. We need to, we need to see it as such. It's not, well, I belong on a roll there. Well, I go there. Well, I might go somewhere else if I'm upset with that place. This is our family. As believers, this is our family. I've got a brother and I've got a sister. And all of a sudden, we're older now. We live in different places. We do not talk as often as we may once have. But I, I want to tell you this. They can count on me, and I know I can count on them. And I want to tell you, I may not talk to them for a week or two, maybe even a month. I may not see them until we get to Thanksgiving time. But I want to tell you, I am for them and they are for me. I'm sure of that. And I want to tell you this, when the going gets tough, I'm going to look for my family. Well, that's the picture that we see painted right here. That is how the church is set up. That is the relationship that we hold with one another. God says we are family. I'm going to say it doesn't mean your brother or sister's not crazy, <laughs> but they're family. They're family. That just came to me. John goes on. Your brother and fellow partaker. Your brother and fellow partaker. Now, this word, fellow partaker, it means joint sharer. It most literally translates has something held in common, has something held in common. As believers, as the church, listen, we have a commonality. As believers, as the church, we hold some things in common. Now, I want you to think about this. The church is very diverse. That's how it ought to be. The church is very diverse. Look at this room this morning. There's all different ages here. There's all different backgrounds here. There's all different likes and dislikes here. There's all different experiences here. You could tell your experience. You could tell your experience. There's all different educations across this room. There's all different occupations represented across this room. We come from different people groups as we assemble in this room. There's rich people in this room. There's poor people in this room. And those are not the things that we hold in common. Those are not the things to be held in common. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and don't take it out of context, but I'm going to tell you something this morning. I got a problem with the white church, and I got a problem with the black church, and I got a problem with the Hispanic church, and I got a problem with the rich and well-off church, and I got a problem with the poor church, and I got a problem with the educated church and the uneducated church. 
And I'll just tell you, I got a problem with the motorcycle church, and I got a problem with the cowboy church, and I got a problem with the dress up or the dress down church, because those aren't the things that unite us. And so listen to me, those ought not be the things that would separate us. Do you understand that? There is the church, and it's filled with all people of all backgrounds, and we ought not separate on things that they're not going to unite us. They ought not separate us. That's not the church. Somebody's going to pull some of that out of context. I'm going to get something thrown in my house this week. Listen, we better get over that. Well, I, I like people like me. Well, some other folks don't like people like you. We got to get over that. We got to get past that. In these days, listen to me, in the days before Jesus comes again, the church needs to be the church. John says, I'm a fellow partaker, holder of these things in common. He says he's part of the group. These things that we have together these things that we hold in common. He goes on and he says, in the tribulation. I'm a fellow partaker. I share with you in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus. We hold these in common. He shares these things with them, and he shares these things with us. These are some of the things that we hold in common. Now I want to look at them piece by piece. They're important today. The first thing in Jesus, one of the things that we share together, that we have in common, it says tribulation. Tribulation. The word tribulation means distress, suffering. It means affliction. In Jesus, as believers, we share in suffering. As believers, we share in tribulation. Now, now, you might say, well, why is that? That doesn't seem right. As believers, we, say, we share in trouble. Let me tell you why. It's because the world hates Jesus. And because the world hates Jesus, the world and Satan hate the good news of Jesus. And so the world and Satan hate the proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. And so listen to me today. If you follow Jesus, and if you actually follow Jesus, you will have trouble in this world. You will have tribulation. You will suffer because of the cause of Jesus. Now listen, it's not like we're unwarned in that. Jesus said that to us. Peter said that to us. John says that to us. Paul says that to us. If you follow Jesus in a world that's set against Jesus, you will have trouble. Church, we better wake up. Church, you better be ready. If you stand up for the word of God, you will suffer. I don't want to suffer. I, I want to go to a place where I don't suffer. I want things to be easy. Listen, the truth of, of the, the word of God is this. If you stand for the cause of Christ in a world that's opposed to him, you will suffer. Now, I want you to be sure of this. This tribulation. We're going to talk about a great tribulation later. This tribulation is not God's wrath or judgment on the church. It is the world's repudiation of the church. 
And so this isn't God judging the church by causing trouble for the church. This is the world's hatred and repudiation of the church. Be ready for trouble. Listen, be ready for trouble. Next, in Christ, it says we have in common, we share the kingdom. That's the next thing. We share the kingdom. Now, this is kind of weird to understand, but I'm going to explain it to you. This is talking about the reality of the kingdom. As followers of Jesus Christ, you do and I do, we share the reality of the kingdom. We share the hope of the kingdom. We share the truth of the kingdom. Let me explain this to you. This world's not my home. And I figured it out, and I see it more clearly all the time. This world is not my home. Praise the Lord, this world is not my home. I want to tell you, the Bible has told me my citizenship is not here. You want to know where I'm a citizen? I'm a citizen of the kingdom. My citizenship is not here. And so as it comes undone, and as it becomes more vile, as it becomes more wicked, I can say to you, I've got a king, and I've got a kingdom, not of this world. My home is not here. I'm going to tell you something that might make you uncomfortable. It probably will. And it might make you upset, maybe with me. That'll be okay. About four or five years ago, I stopped doing something. About four or five years ago, I stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I did. Let me explain it to you. Some of you might get mad instantly. I love this nation. And God has blessed us in this nation. And it's the freedom I have to stand in this pulpit it's because we live in this nation. And I praise God for this nation. And I pray for this nation. We are greatly blessed. But I want to tell you something. The longer I live, I'm not dividing my allegiance. And I want to tell you, I love this nation and I pray for this nation, but I have one allegiance and it is pledged solely to the Savior of the cross of Calvary. Listen, you want to save America, lead people to Jesus. You want to see a revival, you want to see good things in our nation, lead people to Jesus. But I'm not going to have a divided allegiance. My allegiance is, is to the Savior of the cross. His name is Jesus. In Christ, I have the reality of the kingdom. Even so, listen to those words, even so. Things are bad, even so, I have the reality of the kingdom. Things are terrible outside, even so, I have the reality of the kingdom. I hold the hope of the kingdom. Listen to me, if you have trusted Jesus, you do too. And in these days, listen, we better be sure of that. In these days, we ought to hammer it out. Our hope is not in this government. Our hope is not in a president. Our hope is not in a nation. Our hope is in Jesus alone. Our hope is in Jesus alone. We better be clear of that. I look at this account and the, the government's turned on John. They've taken him off to this place. They, they stand in trouble for the preaching of the gospel. Listen, we better be sure our hope is in Jesus in these days. 
It says, the last thing is this. The last thing we share in common in this, in this verse is this, and perseverance. That word means patient endurance. Patient endurance. It, it means remaining. It, it, it means enduring. I like the literal picture. The literal translation is this. Staying under the load. You ever, you ever see this old donkey? He's loaded up. His load's all piled on his back and it's been strapped on. It's, it's kind of wobbly. It's got so much weight. This is the picture of that donkey staying under the load. I'm not going to shirk it. I'm not going to get out from under it. Patient endurance, staying with the load. Listen, here's what it says. In Jesus, we have perseverance. Now, I want you to hear what that means. Because of Jesus, we will persevere. Now, understand what I'm saying here. It's not because we're strong. Sometimes I wonder, well, what if I fail? What if my faith isn't that great? It's not because we're strong. It's not because we have great willpower, all the resolve that I have. No, it is in spite of the fact that we don't. In Jesus, we're going to persevere. How are we going to make it? We're going to make it in the power of Jesus. And so you know what we share? We share a perseverance in Jesus. And I want to tell you this, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, I don't care what happens to our world. I don't care how it shakes out. I'll meet you in glory. We'll persevere because of Jesus. All right, John goes on. He says, was on the island called Patmos. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. Patmos was a rocky island. It was no means a resort island. It was about 25, 30 miles across the island. It was about 40 miles, maybe 35 from Ephesus, where John's home church was. I don't know, I think about the mountains we have, the Wichita Mountains across the Altus. On a clear day, you can see those mountains sticking up. I remember being on a tractor and looking over there and going, wonder what's going on over at Lake Luger, wonder who's overriding their boat over there. It's about that far, about 40 miles from this home church. It was a prison island. It was an island filled with criminals. There are felons on this island. There are sentence being put on the island. It's filled with criminals. It's filled with felons. It's filled with enemies of the state. If Rome said this is an enemy of the state, a threat to our nation, they were put on this island. The people on the island were forced to mine stones for the construction going on back in the mainland. Remember, they're building roads and they're building buildings. And so they're there on this island and they're carving out stones to be hauled back to the mainland to be used for construction. It is a hard place. And I want you to see this. On this island of criminals, there's a preacher. Not a criminal. There's a preacher. On this hard island, work island of criminals, of felons, there is a preacher. John tells us why he was there, the last of verse 9. Because was on the island called Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
I want you to see this. Because of the movement of Christ that's happening, happening because of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was some Roman official and he sent for the pastor of the church in Ephesus. The, the gospel's being preached. There's a movement going on. People are being changed. And there's some Roman official, and he sends for the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he thinks to himself, let them see him let off. Let the church see that. Let them see him as he's taken away. Let them remember every day when he's gone, this is the cost of preaching this gospel. Folks, be sure today, in these days, listen, in these days, our call, our duty, and God's blessing will be on the preaching of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to know what we ought to do in these days? You want to know what our response is in these days? Our call and our duty and God's blessing will be on the preaching of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you ready, church? Are you awake, church? You see, the gospel is the answer. There's not two answers. The gospel is the hope. I listen to folks and I, I watch the news. I'm right there with them. And I hear folks say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Transgender stuff, shootings here, all sorts of crazy stuff. Here's what we do. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. All right, verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. John says in verse 10, I was in the Spirit. Now, I want to explain this. There's some that have twisted this up and changed it. I was in the Spirit. It literally translates, I was in Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, be, in, be sure and understand what this was. He was not in some other level of consciousness. He's not in some other plane of consciousness. He wasn't slain in the Spirit. He wasn't soaking in the Spirit or some other weird idea that folks teach today. It wasn't that. What it means is he is in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. He was submitting to the Holy Spirit of God. He was led by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says as believers, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now think about this. What does the Holy Spirit do? If you're submitting and listening and responding to the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? He leads us to see sin. He leads us to hate sin. He leads us to be broken over sin and to, over sin and to repent. He leads us to see Jesus. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He leads us to exalt Jesus, to focus on Jesus. He leads us to remember the word of God. And in all of that, the Holy Spirit leads us to true worship. You see your sin, you repent of your sin, you look unto Jesus, you remember the word of God, you walk in obedience, and all of that is true worship. 
Get this. In these days, we need to be found in the Spirit. And I don't mean some, some weird movement. We need to be found listening to the Holy Spirit of God. And we need to be found in power with the Holy Spirit of God. And we need to be found exalting Jesus. In these days, you know what we ought to do? We ought to be exalting Jesus. Someone comes up and says, well, did you hear about that law they passed? We ought to say, well, did you hear about Jesus? We ought to be exalting Jesus. We ought to be found in worship because of the Spirit of God that we're listening to, in tune with, directed by. I'm going to tell you this. And the church or the believer, absent of that, will not be ready in these days. We need to be in the Spirit. And the church and the believer that are absent of that will not be ready in these days. Let me tell you this. I believe that's why we're so distracted today. I, I need to be in the Bible. I need to be listening to the Holy Spirit of God. I need to be focused on Jesus. I need to be empowered by Jesus to tell a lost world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to be in the Spirit and I believe that's why we're so distracted today. We've got the inspired word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. We've got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We have all of that. But we're so distracted today, and we're so busy these days, and we're so all over the map today that we fail to recognize the power that we have in the Holy Spirit of God. We fail to live in the leading and the empowerment of the Spirit and we waste our days. I think that's why we're so distracted today. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I, I want you to see this. The Lord's day was the first day of the week. Now listen very carefully. This is important. The Lord's day was the first day of the week. It is our Sunday. For the church, it was the day that they met to honor Christ and to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. It says Lord's Day in the Word of God. Now listen, I'm going to explain it. This is the first day of the week for the church. It was the day that they met to honor Christ, to testify to the resurrection of Christ. See this, Jesus was resurrected. The Bible says the tomb was empty on the first day of the week. And on the first day of the week, it says, they rushed to the tomb. He is not here, for he is risen. The tomb was empty on the first day of the week. Well, the church comes along as fast as it forms, and it says, to honor our Savior, to remember that truth, and to testify to the resurrection of Jesus, we're going to assemble on that day. Now listen, you read scripture, they met on other days. I'm not sure, some of them didn't meet on every day, but this was a special day. It is the Lord's day. They met on that day to honor Christ and to point, to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. For that reason, it became known as the Lord's day. What day is that? It's not Sunday, it's the Lord's day. It's the day we're gonna testify to him. It's the day we're gonna testify to a resurrected Savior. They were deliberate in it. They were intentional in it. Listen to me, church. Listen very carefully. Today, there has been no better time in all of history. And there has been no more needed time for the church to say, 
We live to honor Christ. We strive to testify to the resurrection of Christ. We have hope that the world doesn't have. And listen to me, in the exact same way, there's been no greater time for us to say, and we are going to be deliberate together on the Lord's day. Did you hear what I said? This world's going this crazy direction. This world wants us to compromise. This world wants us to fit in. There's been no greater day for us as the church to say, I believe in a resurrected Savior, Jesus, and we will assemble on the Lord's day. That is our opportunity. That is our moment. And we set ourselves apart by gathering on the Lord's day. And I want you to hear me, and I, I, I'm about to offend a lot of folks. Listen to me. If you are missing the Sunday gathering of the church for sports or to meet with your friends or to rest or to cook out or to go to the lake or, or, or to do some other thing, listen to me. You are missing an opportunity to testify to Jesus. The world comes along and says, it's okay. The world comes along and says, you won't play Division One." The world comes along and says, you just join with us. You can do it at some other time. The world comes along and says, it's expected. And we follow in and we miss the opportunity to stand and to be different and to testify to a risen Savior. I want to say it. That's not legalism. That's some old Baptist legalist, didn't it? No, that's not legalism. Listen to me. That is our opportunity to be weird, to be different, and to honor Christ. I imagine John here. Friends with Christ. His friends ascended to heaven. Friends with the other disciples, most of them are to kill. Pastor of a church. I, I imagine John, he loved that church. And oh, if he could get back and see the faces of that church, if he could just be in fellowship with that church, oh, oh, it was a it was a sweet spirit there, and they were worshiping together there, and they were a family there. And if he could just get back there, and I and I think he missed that church, and maybe on a cloudless day. He could be there on this prison island and he could look over and he could see the hills of Ephesus. Oh, if I could get to my church. Oh, if I could just spend an hour in fellowship with my church. But he can't. But he can't. Church, listen to me today. We have to be ready. There's not time for business as usual. It's time to be weird. Do not, listen to me, do not give up the opportunity to testify to and to honor Jesus. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. We're going to talk about that voice next week. Verse 11 saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. The voice behind him says, write in a book. Now, I think it's an awesome thing. This is that book. Write in a book, he says. This is that book. Write in a book the things that you will see and send it to the seven churches. We're about done. Listen to me here. See this. These are seven distinct 
individual churches. Now, that's, that may seem like a small thing. That's a big thing. These are seven distinct individual churches. It's not the central church. Send the letter to the central church. There's no such thing. It's not the church that is at the Vatican. It's not the church that's in Rome. There's no such thing. It's not the Pope. Don't send the letter to the Pope. There's no such thing. It is to these seven individual churches. Be sure, listen, that's how God's plan works. These are seven different cities in seven different areas, and they have seven different situations going on. There are seven different contexts for these churches. And so listen, there are seven individual churches to minister the gospel, to preach the truth in each of those situations. Let me warn you about something. Today there is a big and growing movement called an ecumenical movement. It's actually been going about 30, 40 years. And it's a big movement that says we ought to all just say we're the same. That's the mission. We're all the same. We ought to just all be the same. And we should become one. We ought to be one. We ought to surrender all these things. If we have to surrender the truth, that's all right. If we have to give over the truth, unity is the greatest thing. We ought to all be one. Compromise if you have to. The rallying cry, I hear it all the time. We're really all the same. That's not what we see here in these verses. Let me tell you what this means. This means... God raises up local churches, and God empowers individual local churches, and God has a plan to reach the lost in each of these contexts through a local individual church, and I want to tell you what that means. It means this. This church is God's plan. This church it's not trivial. It's not unimportant. I'm talking about this church. This church is necessary. This church, this church has a duty and a stewardship before God. Listen, I'm not talking about the great universal church. I'm talking about Calvary Baptist Church. We have a duty to God. We have a stewardship before God. This church we have a message to uphold. I watch every day, preachers are folding, people are compromising. That's not my business. Our duty is this church, and this church has a message to uphold. This church, this church has people to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, if we don't do it, nobody else is gonna do it. And so are you listening to me? This church needs your commitment. This church is to glorify Christ in this situation. And so you listen to me this morning. This church, Calvary Baptist Church, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. I think... I don't know, it's my fourth or fifth message in this series, I don't know. I noticed this right off the bat. God's speaking in this, this series. God's speaking as we study Revelation. Listen to me, God's speaking to you. God's speaking to me. We can't afford to miss it. 
Very soon, yes, there's going to be the blast of a trumpet. There's going to be the shout of an archangel. The clouds are going to roll back and Jesus is going to come again. I want to tell you, for, for a lost world, that's not going to be a good day. We have a duty with the gospel. We have a compassionate, gracious Savior and he's called us to be the same. We have a lost world to tell about Jesus. And I want to tell you, we could talk about other churches. I'm talking about this one. It is time for us to wake up. You sit there this morning and say, well, what's at stake? What's at stake? Let me tell you what's at stake. It's the gospel. And I want to tell you the good news that we hold is this. We have a Savior that loves us. I have a Savior and you have a Savior. There's no person walking that doesn't have a Savior that loves them. And he has come to the cross of Calvary and he has paid for sin. He came to the cross of Calvary and he took our sin upon himself, the Bible says, even becoming our sin. He has died. He has paid for sin the propitiation, the satisfier of the wrath of God, he has paid for sin. He died. He placed him in a grave. Three days later, he comes out of that grave. He stands as the risen Savior, the risen Lamb, the standing King. Bible says, in faith in him, not in church membership, in faith in him, there's the forgiveness of sin. There's eternal life. There's hope that endures. You want to know what's at stake? The gospel's at stake. You want to know what's at stake? Eternities are at stake. Listen, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, listen, there's a Savior that loves you. If you'll turn to him today, he'll forgive you. He'll save you. You don't have to impress anybody. If you'll trust Jesus right now, he'll save you. If you're here and you have trusted Christ, listen to me. Let us not be so hard. Let us not be so calloused. Let us not be so busy that we would let a lost world pass us by and not endeavor with all we have to tell them about the Savior, the gracious Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. During Father, we come and we praise you today. We thank you today. I, I pray as we study your word that you would shape us, that you would build us, that you'd correct us, that you'd encourage us, that you'd refocus us. And I pray for this church, I pray, Lord, that we would understand we have a duty before you. We have a, a stewardship of the gospel. And that there's a lost world right around us in Vernon, Texas. It needs to know of its Savior. I pray that we'll be diligent. I pray we'll be committed. I pray, Lord, that we'll take every opportunity to testify to a risen, resurrected Savior. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a family to do it with and we'd have a fellowship to do it with. And I pray that we'd have the common hope that we shall persevere in you. But I pray it's for your glory and for your name's sake. Lord, I pray for somebody listening that does not know you. I pray for one here that their heart is broken in their sin, tired of carrying the guilt and the shame of their sin. I pray that, Lord, that today they would turn to you as their Savior. And in you they'd find forgiveness and peace. I, I pray if they need more information, Lord, that we'd be able to talk it out according to your word. That today would be the day of their salvation. I ask that you move in this time of invitation. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you there's a couple ways to respond. First off, if you've never trusted Christ, do it today. The time is urgent. Settle it today. The time is urgent. You come to the front, you tell the church, hey, I've, I've put my trust in Jesus. We'll, we'll announce it. We'll celebrate with you. You need more information, you come. Let's talk it through. Let's see what God has said in his word. Let's settle it today. You're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never fought in believer's baptism. And you want that testimony to stand in your life. 
You come and we'll set a day to be a great day of celebration. We'll, we'll cheer and we'll celebrate as you testify to a risen, resurrected Savior, who you are in and through him. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll serve his kingdom, his cause for his glory. In these days, maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come and say, God, use me. God, prepare, use me. God, forgive me. Help me to stand in these days. The time is near. We're going to stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you, if you have a decision to make, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.